You're listening to the Technically Confident Podcast with me, your host, Charlotte Fuller. This is the podcast for the ambitious woman in tech who wants more and is willing to do what it takes to make it happen. I'm going to give you all of the tips, methods, and strategies you need to remove self-doubt, get over your fears, and build the confidence you need to live the life of your dreams and reach your highest potential. So strap in, enjoy the ride, and let's go get you everything that you deserve. So welcome back to the show, everyone. I'm super, super excited today because I've got Dr. Claire Thorne here with me. Now, Claire is the co-CEO of Tech She Can, an incredible non-for-profit working to increase the number of women and girls in tech, the ultimate aim of changing the ratio of women in the industry. As a woman in tech, a returner, a physicist, very cool, and a mom, double cool, uh, Claire is super passionate about innovation, parity, and equality in the workplace, and particularly STEM education and research. So, Claire, thank you so much for being here with us today. I know that people are going to be very excited to hear about your story and your background because I think you've got some very interesting things to share with us. So, I would absolutely love it if you'd kindly spend a couple of minutes just telling us a little bit more about yourself and how you ended up where you are today. Super. Thanks, Charlotte. It's lovely to join you. Um, yeah, so as you say, um, I, I co-lead the tech careers charity Tech She Can, essentially spun out of PwC um, with huge support base now, um, looking to change the number of women and girls and inspiring them to pursue STEM subjects and ultimately um, take roles in, in the tech sector. And I lead that along with Sheridan Ash, so we job share. Um, I'm also venture partner at Deep Science Ventures. Um, so this is an organisation that builds deep tech, deep science companies. They're built in-house from scratch um, and they've got a portfolio worth about 200 million. They've built 35 companies in the last mm. Um, few years and I'm working on a special project there Um, and then my background is in innovation and commercialization at UK universities and I guess what kind of ties all of these roles these things together is science and tech talent Um, and it's something that you know every minister declares it the number one concern you know the tech sector and the the tech skills gap it's a central pillar in all strategies um, and something that we hear all the time now is talent is everywhere, opportunities are not. Um, so yeah, that's that's what I'm working on. Very, very cool. So it sounds like you're quite a busy lady <laughs> with everything that you've got going on. And so tell us a little bit, firstly, the Deep Science Ventures, it sounds like an incredible organization. Tell us a little bit more about that and what's going on there. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So Deep Science Ventures, they build these science companies in-house from scratch. They're kind of taking the tech transfer office that you would normally associate with universities, sort of turning that model on its head. And they're starting from these big societal outcomes, these opportunity spaces across sectors. And then they're working backwards and they're building founding teams around that to build science companies that basically create new sectors as well as new companies. Um, and the project I'm working on there, along with um, Thane and Dom there, is to create a new type of PhD with a view to creating a whole new type of science and tech talent, really. So these are, is, it would be a doctorate program um, for people that wouldn't necessarily otherwise consider a, an academic or um, a career in, in venturing. Um, and it launches this September, September 23. We're, we're super proud of where yeah. we've got to. Um, and it's diversity first. So 50% women on the program will be, you know, the candidate for um, and 50% minority ethnic groups as well. So it's diversity first, venture led 
And as well as graduating with a thesis, you would also uh, produce uh, a deep tech science company as well. That's incredible. And um, firstly, congratulations on launching that first cohort that's going to be this year coming for you. But a little bit about that. What type of people then, if if you're thinking about people that aren't necessarily considering maybe a doctorate, what type of people would it attract? the program yes it could be those that um have worked in industry they could be mid-career stage early mid-career stage they could be sort of mid-30s um it doesn't necessarily have to be early talent it could be pivoters and returners as well but those with a founder type mentality um you know high potential not necessarily a stem undergraduate not necessarily stem background um but those that are looking to create their own science venture and for, you know, traditional academic routes, pathways into universities have been, you know, they've been switched off for whatever reason. And we know that's a challenge in academia. We know that um, the, the job security, you know, post-PhD, when you're doing postdocs, you might have two or three year contracts. Mm-hmm. You're expected to sort of move and uproot um, every few years as well. We know that that's really tricky. Um, so it's providing a pathway in, into academia or industry or in program management for organisations like ARIA, the New Innovation Agency, it's creating a, a type of talent, a talent pipeline for those sorts of jobs that wouldn't otherwise exist. And the aim being is that you're immersed simultaneously in the venture creation world and the academic research world, so that by by the end of it, you feel equipped and you've got the networks to operate in both and that you don't necessarily need to choose mm. post-PhD do you leave academia and do you leave research and do you go off and do something else? But you can, you know, you're hypermobile and you can operate in both worlds. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. Um, And I personally find that so, so interesting because a couple of years ago I considered um, doing a doctorate and I went really heavily down into that route and got accepted to do it and then decided not to because I thought, well, actually, I'd, I want to be working in, 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 in industry, but having the ability to almost do both um, yeah. simultaneously is, I think it's phenomenal. Yeah, we're super excited. So um, we've, we've got support, we're, um, we've got our funding and we're launching this year. So the first cohort will, will start in September. Mm. Amazing. Good stuff. And if people want to find out more about that, where could they go? Yeah, just check out the Deep Science Ventures webpage and, and socials mm-hmm. as well. Um, it's all on there. And uh, as an organisation, you know, the PhD, the, the Venture Science Doctorate is the new thing that they're trialling, but actually they've been doing, they've been building science companies for a few years now. And as an organisation, they've been really smashing it on gender diversity as well. So they've got four times more gender diverse nice. founding teams than spin outs from UK universities. So um, yeah, they've, they've got the track record there. That's incredible. Yeah, super good stuff. So I'm pretty sure that actually quite a lot of the listeners will really, really like to research that and take another look. So um, amazing. And certainly I'll be following what you're doing as well. (laughs) Staying close to it. Um, So that's part of what you do. And the other part is Techshe Can. So tell us more about that side of things and how you split your time between the two and how you make that work. 
Absolutely. So my main role, yeah, you're right, is with Tech She Can, this charity um, that has just grown over the last 18 months. Um, and it started out back in 2017 with a piece of research that my job chair, Sheridan, the founder, commissioned in her role at PwC to look at the gender balance or imbalance in tech. And then over a period of a few years, there was all of this support from different uh, different organisations, not just in the tech sector, um, but from different organisations across different sectors. And then in summer 21, we, we applied to become um, a, an independent charity. We were awarded charitable status and that, that's when I've joined. Um, so I'm three days a week there and I've got a seven-year-old girl and an almost three-year-old boy. And while my kids are young, I really wow. feel precious yeah. about trying to maintain some semblance of a work-life balance. It doesn't feel like it often, um, but I do try. Um, and so I have that, my tech camera is three days a week. And then with my Deep Science Ventures, because I'm working on a special product, I'm, I'm sort of consulting for them at the moment. So it's roughly four or five days a month. It, it's pretty lumpy. So I do that when my youngest is mm-hmm. napping or um, late nights or weekends, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, actually can is my main focus yeah yeah lots to juggle though which is interesting and also um I'm really interested to hear about if you'd be happy to share a little bit more about what it was like for you returning to the workplace after I don't know how long you took out of the workplace but I think quite a few of the the women that that listen to this podcast I know I have I've had a good couple of conversations where they've um you know they've struggled going back into the workplace and I'd just be really interested to hear about what that was like for you was it difficult or did you find it quite an easy transition back in absolutely difficult and I think it is for everybody when they return a man or a woman from Matt or Pat leave um Mm -hmm. and I don't know if it's got any better to be honest I mean so my first leave um my husband works for a large multinational and it was just at the time when the coalition had brought in SPL, shared parental leave. And he was yeah. slightly anxious about asking his um, immediate team if he yeah. could. He knew he was entitled to SPL to take it. It was a very new policy, all in the headlines. But he was thinking, you know, should I be the first one to do it? And I encouraged him. And actually, um, we ended up splitting um my mat leave. So he did a little bit of SPL towards the end. He did like the last three months and I did the first nine and it worked really well and it, mm-hmm. it really helped. Second time round, my second one, I was in a different organisation by that point um, and um, mat leave was slightly different in that it was during COVID. <laughs> so um, that was different. And then mm-hmm. actually when I, when I was thinking about returning to the workplace second time round, I think probably COVID, probably because I hadn't had a straightforward pregnancy second time round, I really, both yeah. of those two things combined made me think, actually, let's take stock here and let's think about how I can do a, a little bit of you know, two or three different things, almost like a portfolio, a few different things I want to do. I don't just want to do one role. But also, I want to make sure they're really purpose-led. And that's when I started thinking about, okay, well, I could work with an organisation like Tetsu Can and, and, and co-lead that, or I could do a little bit of work here with, with Deep Science Ventures. So it was an opportunity, I think, the second Matt leave to reset 
then really sort of reprioritize. First Mat Leave, when I returned, had, you know, really supportive organization, really great culture, really super boss, um, and was, you know, totally given the option of returning flexibly and reduced hours and all of that. And I took that opportunity and I returned for three days a week for about a year, having been five days before. And then I um, ramped up eventually to four days. And then when I moved a few years later, um, I moved post and I joined an organization and I was joined, I was the first woman to join at that level in this new organization that had requested reduced hours. And it had to be taken right to the top for somebody to prove that this was going to be okay. Um, And so I was sort of the guinea pig to prove I could do this at four days. Um, And obviously Mm -hmm. it's a juggle, but I, I felt really passionately about demonstrating that it's possible and trying to demonstrate that it's possible to do that role at four days and also I think probably because you know my eldest being a girl I always feel this sense of responsibility towards her of you know what am I setting her up for you know saying like you know try hard at this explore all of your your hobbies and interests what 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 am I setting her up for what does success look like for her particularly I feel it more explicitly than for my son and I think you know is she going to be eventually overloaded with an inbox whilst trying to juggle like family life but I don't think that as much with my son and it's interesting because at home my husband and I have have been a very 50-50 split but I do feel very conscious of trying to be that role model for her. Isn't it interesting isn't it still interesting that we you know we're we're very much still in this place to a degree and um, firstly you know well done on being the first and setting that precedent because we need more and more people to be able to do it. Um, so that is incredible. I think what, what advice would you have for women returning to work? Is there anything in terms of advocating for what they need, um, and generating support around it? Is there any words of wisdom that you'd like to share? I think a personal steering group, this is what I like to call it, having a personal steering group, not just mm-hmm. for when you're returning post mat or care leave or throughout your whole career. So I call it a personal steering group, you know, wh- whatever you want to refer to it as. But having a group mm-hmm. of people, it could be four or five, that essentially, you know, you can WhatsApp at any moment. You say, oh, I'm thinking about this <laughs> or, you know, what should my next move be? What do you think? Or could you make an intro for me? Mm-hmm. And having those, you know, up until the last maybe three or four years, actually all of mine that I would consider in my personal steering group were all, all men, which is fabulous, all okay. great champions and great mm-hmm. advocates. And I've just started to find those women role models and those those active champions. And they don't know it. They don't know who's in my personal steering group. But, uh, you know, if I need to go, they're there. And I think something like that, mm-hmm. Um, having that around you at any point in your career is always really helpful and Mm. uh, it's interesting because when you return from any kind of um, extended leave I think that is the true test of the organizational culture that's when you really figure out if this is a great fit for me. Mm. Mm, Fascinating and that's a that's a really good point but it's a good point for organizations to consider and I'm not sure that they well I think 90% of the time, maybe more than that, they don't, they're not considering that, that like you said, that is the test of the culture of the organization. And many organizations will say, you know, that they, they have a brilliant culture of this sort of thing, but actually how are 
we, you know, integrating people back into the workforce. And I think yes. from, from your perspective, from a company perspective, what can they also do to support women? Yeah. What would be helpful for you as uh, well? It's, yeah. I mean, for me, I don't know, cause it's, it's different, isn't it? But for, I think there's, there's a piece around organizational structure and organizational culture there. Um, so with Tech she Can, we, yes, we do an awful lot at the early stage of the pipeline. So from about age five plus, we create and deliver for free in schools these um, educational resources. We don't teach coding. We're not teaching a practical skill. There's loads of other organizations that do mm. that brilliantly. But what we do do is that inspirational yep. careers piece. And so at the heart of what we do as a charity is that early intervention piece. But actually, we work all across the pipeline. We do various different things. We do we have an intervention for age sort of 13, 14 years, just pre-GCSE option stage to try and switch girls that are switched off from STEM back on. Um, but then we work all the way through um, with apprenticeships as well and having programs for early talent, pivoters, returners and senior leaders. And what we are seeing from our member organisations, we've got about 250 different member organisations across all sectors, 40 sectors. Um, so Google, NatWeb, Unilever, Credit Suisse, Supla, et cetera, PwC. What we're hearing from those um, is that actually they need to, they recognise that there is so much value in putting a returner's programme in place. But what what should it look like? And I think whoever that, manager is that's managing that that group that cohort of returners or the individual they also need upskilling to be able to understand what structures um and culture needs to be in place because there's no point having women or others return and not being able to retain them you've got to retain the returners um and when the numbers of women in tech are so low everyone counts so there is a piece a piece of work for senior leaders and you know organizational culture to be to be done around how you retain those returners um it's i, d- I don't think there is one simple solution at all um right yeah i think a lot of it comes down to the uh, unfortunately when you when you're retained or not you know it comes down to that individual relationship with your immediate the immediate person you report to and if there's a really positive relationship, positive culture, then, you know, there's much more chance of you staying. Um, and, you know, that's not great yeah. and that's not healthy. So it's not, we need something more systematic that is in place to retain returners, you know, at scale. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the key, the key word, isn't it? Systematic and having the actual programs and actual systems in place to support it without it just being, we're going to, you know, we're going to put a little bit of training in here for people. It's got to be, it's got to be wider than that. And it's got to be very structured, hasn't it? And I think, like you said, it's heavily dependent on the managers, the direct line managers, but also as well on the support network around it. And yeah. And are there also, you know, ambassadors there um, to support? Yeah. Are there groups and networks? Do you feel like you belong still? Because yeah. whether you're returning from, you know, maternity or paternity leave or whether you've taken time out for whatever reason, health-wise or otherwise, something has changed with you. Yeah, those, those personal things that you're battling around confidence and belonging mm-hmm. and community and all of those things, yeah. you know, confidence and also time as well. Um, you've got a whole new load of challenges to juggle but what else has also changed is the workplace itself so you know a year or two mm-hmm. out and you know the Absolutely. systems the technology 
processes have moved on. Um, and if you're talking about mm-hmm. 10 or 15 years out, which is can often be the case with returners or pivoters, you know, it's, it's unrecognizable. Um, so, yeah, very different. So one of the things that we're building and um, working on at the moment with Tech She Can is, so we, we're partnering with, with a few different apprenticeship providers for the, the early talent piece, the returners and the pivoters, and then the senior leaders piece. And we're looking at how we can upskill the managers or manager champions is what we refer to them mm-hmm. so that they feel almost like giving them a toolkit and a kind of how-to guide so they feel totally equipped to be able to retain those returners. Mm-hmm. I love that. I absolutely love it. For two reasons, two recent conversations that I've been having. The first one was with um, a lady who's returning to work who was saying exactly what you've just said. She's highly skilled, <laughs> is very senior and um, is struggling with um, the changes in, in technology and the systems and everything. And is, is really, it's knocking her confidence a lot. Um, so we've had to work on that quite significantly. And, and like you said, that's going to be a big thing for a lot of people. And then the other side of it is, is like you said, um, you know, having, having the training in there and having the right people in place. And I think, um, two sides of the it's two sides of the coin isn't it really that that need to work together to really retain women in the way that we need to and if we don't get it right there's such a trick that industry is missing because you know we we talk about the critical skills gap all the time and if we had the same number of women um in tech right now we wouldn't have a critical skills gap Mm -hmm. in the tech sector it could be plugged immediately so a, a robust returners program that produces a happy and healthy and sustainable pipeline of returners is actually <laughs> really <Which> is key <laughs> yeah happy, healthy, sustainable all of those things is actually an almost immediate fix um for this tech skills gap that we're seeing in our member organizations so yes they're totally committed to investing in the long term they sponsor all of mm-hmm. our um, all of our schools programs and our career insights days where we open their doors and we literally bring cohorts of disengaged STEM girls and boys into their organizations. They sponsor all of that. Um, and they're committed to that sort of like 20 year pipeline, but they're also trying to solve the immediate skills gaps right now in their organizations as well. Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. Um, it's certainly, yeah, certainly some of the biggest questions I get asked as well is, is where do we find more people? <laughs> Well, this is certainly one of the the areas, but it's you've got to get it right. <laughs> um, so that's one side of thing. And then another thing, Claire, I know that you do a lot with is allyship. So yeah. back to what we were talking about before, the the two different conversations that I've had recently that are significant. The one was with the the lady that I've just discussed, and then the other one is with, you know, I give a lot of corporate presentations and workshops supporting women in their organizations but the questions that I always get asked are how do we set up an ally network here how do we get more men involved and other people how do we how do we support women in the organizations as well and outside of that I suppose if you think about it, it's sort of like the inverse question of how do you get more women in, in your organization as well? And I think the simple answer is get them in the room, right? You, you know, get them around the table, get them in the room, employ them, upskill them and bring them into the conversation. So um, what we do when we in- start to engage with children at age five and upwards, actually that content is for boys and for girls. We do- we're totally inclusive and we don't 
expect teachers and careers advisors to separate out the class. It starts right from the beginning. It's boys sure. and girls because those boys, when they grow up, will be the the peers, the employees, the employers, the champions of the women as well, the girls in the room. So they're you know, totally part of the solution. So it, it's a, it's engaging really young and bringing boys into the conversation and explaining to them and demonstrating to them actually you know to have girls and women you know working in these technology roles and these other stem roles means that we're creating a world that looks like thinks like feels like all of us and works for all of us it can't just work for half of the population and these technological solutions and these products and services can't just work for half the pollution half of the population so it's um it's bringing boys and girls into the conversations together and, and you know, normalising the fact that girls and women work in these roles. So all of our materials feature predominantly women and diverse role models. So they get to see that there are um, people that, that work in, in these roles and they're behind the tech that they use and interact with every day. Um, and then I think it's just in sh- trying, I say just, it's trying to ensure that at every level, in every type of role, you have got men mm. and women organization so I mean we're 18 months old as a charity so we're relatively young we're just getting going um but we we have our first man in the core team and you know we're less than seven six at the moment so we're very small um we're all on most of us are on reduced hours Mm -hmm. as well so there's slightly more of us than six but um we, we have a first man in the team and that diversity of thought is really helpful, is totally needed and we know we need to build that out a bit more. Um, but then at steering group level, we've got about 30 of our organisations and member organisations represented all different sectors. We've got like, um, you know, one person there might be um, head of people in an organisation and then um, another person might be like a CIO um, in a completely different sector. But actually, you know, that's men and women at steering group. And then all the way through to trustee level um, for a a whole governance structure, we have men and women as part of the conversation. And um, uh, I'm thinking of um, Rob Harris in particular, was formerly at Centrica and he's on our trustee board and he speaks so articulately about allyship and the role of men in, in the solution um and you know all of those that we work with are super passionate about this amazing i love that that like you say the the more people we can get involved at all levels all genders all <laughs> everything it, it's what we need isn't it we we need to work together to do this it's not it's not a, a one or the other and 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 the, the way that i often talk to people it's or when they ask me specifically in organizations is that because the question is generally, you know, what, what can men do to help? And the first thing is that men often are worried that they're going to say something to make someone uncomfortable or they'll get it wrong. Um, and you know, what, what I often say is that from there's two sides, the first one is we need to uh, talk openly to each other. Yeah. and ask the direct question. The direct question needs to be, how do I best support you? What do you yeah. need right now? But then from the other side of it, from women in organizations, I think we also have a duty to, what I always say is assume positive intention, first yeah. of all, if someone's trying to help you. Um, and then also it's, you know, this, it's a, it's a give and receive dynamic. So if, you know, men and, and, and others are trying to support, then we also need to be able to receive that support as well. 
So it's really yeah. this balance, isn't it, that we need to get. And, and like you said, the more people we get in a room together, um, the more mix that we get going on, hopefully the, the better that's going to get over time. Absolutely. I've got two reflections on that, actually. I guess the first one is more about mm. something we always ask our community and everybody that knows us and works with us to do is practice active careers education. It's careers inspiration. It's something that everybody can do. You know, wherever you, um, whenever you interact with a young person, if it's around the breakfast table, if it's a child of your own, or if it's um, a niece or nephew or somebody in your wider network, always talk to them about you know, actively contributing to the conversation about what they want to do, not necessarily what they want to be, but what they want to do, um, what kind mm. of impact they make on the world and connecting their passions with this career in STEM. And that's what we do with our, our schools program. So you don't necessarily need to be techie, inverted commas. You don't really need to be interested uh -huh. in you know, pure STEM subjects, but there is a there's space for all. There's creativity in STEM roles as well. Um, mm -hmm. And that your passion, so you know, much. can lead yeah totally and so I always felt like fairly pigeonholed I guess in that you know if you were particularly good I mean it's a different generation of course you know sciences and maths then you're probably not the arty one you're probably not the Englishy one and actually you know, you, there's, there's space for all of those things um so my other reflection on that was actually what you were describing I think is you know, in essence, kind leadership, which should be the default, right? It's not a women in tech thing. Mm. It's not even a women thing. And it's certainly not a tech thing, but it's just kind leadership. Um, and I don't think, I don't think that, you know, the practice of kind leadership is spoken about enough and it's certainly not um, visible enough. And I think when you work closely with somebody who is, um, you know, creates that culture of kind leadership and is really championing and fair and, you know, recognises you, you totally notice it. And when it's not there, it's, it's really stark and it's almost like, it's almost debilitating. And so to get the best out of everybody, whether they're men or women, whether they're in tech or STEM or a whole different area, I think kind leadership is really key. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. It's just about acknowledging as well that we're all human, isn't it? <laughs> With different needs and regardless of if we're in the workplace or not, we need to be acting or, you know, practicing, like you said, kind leadership and, and empathy and all of those good things as well, just to see how we can support each other. Um, specifically as we've been, you know, through very interesting times um, over the past couple of years and a lot has changed. And yeah, I really like that. I was going to say, if we do want, um, you know, whether it's technological solutions and products and services that work for everybody, or if we just want to live in a world that works right. for everybody, it's it's really good leaders, I think, that create future leaders. And if we want to create future leaders that are kind, I think kind leadership needs to be much more embedded in, in workplace practices now. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, all cultural changes will will take time, won't they? Um, but like you said, I mean, if we, if we hopefully start now, um, and sort of embed that from earlier ages as well, then certainly, um, we should see a greater impact over time, which will be very positive and hopefully not too long as well. <laughs> We've got some good people making a start. So like, in terms of, um, Texican, um, and the work that you're doing, how do you hope this will grow in the future? What are the ambitions that you have? 
Oh, yeah. so many. So, so like I say, we've got around 250 member organizations at the moment and we work with around 20 of those mm-hmm. in a, a really deeply sustained interaction. They're our strategic partners. Um, and to date, we have reached 32,000 children across the UK directly. So that is a member of our team, wow. one of our champions. So people like yourself, Charlotte, we train you up for free. We can do your entire mm-hmm. work and we have a partnership with STEM Learning where we do all the DBSs and everything and then um, match you into a local school and you can deliver some of the content. So that's how we've reached 32,000 children today. We have plans to reach around 100,000 children this year. We would like to see... Um, we feel there's a real need for a national PR campaign around technology, um, Mm. changing perceptions, um, and also informing and educating parents a little bit about the roles in technology, um, the culture, the opportunities to travel, the fact that you can work in multiple sectors, um, all those sorts of things. So some kind of campaign. Um, We would like to see uh, a national tech day to inspire um, and support children, teachers and parents. There's a lot we want to do. um, And we know that there are so many challenges at the moment. I think it's only like 10% of um, women leaders, uh, only 10% of women in technology are in leadership positions. And then there's only Mm -hmm. 22% of schools in England do not offer computer science at GCSE. So there are real challenges, but there's a lot that we want to try and change. The way in which STEM subjects are 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 taught um in school you know the curriculum itself there's there's some real challenges there um, and we know we have a role to play in that I think about like my seven-year-old and you know if she's not going to be interested in STEM I think oh god what hope is there because both my myself and my husband are you know, physicists by background. We talk about the fact that we live in a multiverse, you know, we try and do all of these like kids <laughs> all the time. And she's like, oh, times tables are boring. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, because you're, that's what you're being taught at school, but stick with it. Yeah. And it's more interesting. And there are all of, there is this space in STEM for you to, you know, um, channel all of your creativity. It, it doesn't need to be really prescriptive. And um, if you stick with it, that's when it, you know, the, the delivery of the content in schools should get much more interesting. Mm, yeah, super. Yeah, very, very interesting. And and it's that's exactly it, isn't it? Schools are are still almost teaching it, like you said, as a boring subject, as boring subjects. Yeah, and yeah, as yeah. like we, we totally it's so understand not. No <laughs> <laughs> yeah. thought at all from the, to the teachers at all. Like all credit to them. You know, totally overworked and a lot of them often not, not not with a yeah. STEM background um, and being expected increasingly to, to deliver outside of their um, their own specialism mm-hmm. but I, I think there's a real place for organizations like us that interface with schools in the education sector and also with industry to help change and support schools to, to do that stuff so for instance mm-hmm. um we would like to see a designated tech lead in every in every UK school. You can probably point to, well, you can definitely point to a safeguarding lead in every school. You can probably point to a science lead, but who's there really championing tech? Um, mm. And so actually, you know, it's not for the schools to solve this on their own. You know, we could connect them up with a real life tech role model, one of our champions, as we call them, in one of our member organisations. And then on a volunteer basis, they could be the designated tech lead for that school. Um, so there's all sorts of things 
we could do that, you know, schools and teachers don't have to do completely on their own. Yeah, amazing. And so based on that, then, in terms of how can people support you with this? So, you know, on a personal level and also on an organizational level, what are the resources that you need to make one make this happen? And then how can people get involved to support you? Absolutely. So the easiest thing is become a member. Um, So you can be a strategic partner or you can be um, a member. Um, We'd love to add you to the community and we'd love to, you know, welcome you to our events and and work with you. So we co-sign and we work on projects together with our members. Um, You can also individually become a champion. So we will train you um, and possibly your workforce for free um, and give you that training Mm -hmm. so that you all the resources you need. You don't need to prepare lesson content or anything like that. We've got all of that ready to go um, and we match you into scores. Um, and then as an organization work with us and literally open up your doors and we will do all of the organization we'll find the the children um, around age 13 14 years um, and careers advisors and teachers for a bit of CPD as well and we'll bring them into your organizations for really like immersive days as well so they understand what an organization might look like that actually works in tech or has tech roles within it that they wouldn't necessarily think of as a, as a technology organization. And then, like I said before, at the most basic level as an individual practice, simply practice active careers education with the children, and the young people, you know, um, crucially before the stereotype setting. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Well, certainly count me in. <laughs> so I'm going to definitely Thanks. sign up as a, as a champion. And then also as well, where can people find you? We, you've got you, the TechSheCam website, where else? Yes, the, the website, we're on Twitter, LinkedIn, Insta, and then Sherrod and I also have um, some personal accounts on socials as well. Um, but yeah, Defo Connect, if you want to just reach out, then it's Claire with an I and an E um, at techshecan.org <laughs> or info at techshecan.org. Um, and also, I was just thinking through that your previous question around what can people do as an individual organisation. The, mm-hmm. the other real big thing that they can do on an organisational level is share their their waste levy, their surplus levy. So when we talk about apprenticeship levy, there's something like three billion every year that gets handed back to Treasury that is unused and it's surplus mm-hmm. levy. It actually can we call it waste levy across our membership. And um, in September last year, just in a few weeks within that month, we worked with our member organisations and collectively they donated over a million pound of waste levy, which is now, right now, it's fully funding 75 um, women tech apprenticeships in organisations that aren't eligible for that levy. So our SME and our charity members, organisations like British Science mm-hmm. Association, Teach First. And so there are there is a real role for organisations to play in being transparent about their surplus or their waste levy, um, aiming collectively, joining us as a, as a member and aiming um, with us to achieve this zero waste target that we have set ourselves and also working on working with us on levy reform so that we can um, try and see a a portion of that apprenticeship levy pot essentially ring fence to fully fund tech apprenticeships going forward. Perfect. So if you're listening and that is you and you've got some spare, then you know where, where to direct it. Awesome. So Claire, thank you so much for your time today. Um, I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation with you and I'm very excited to learn more and get get more involved and um, hopefully we'll 
we have recruited some other people as well during this conversation. Um, and so just thank you so much for your time. And it's been an absolute pleasure. You're welcome. It's lovely to speak to you, Charlotte. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Technically Confident Podcast with me, your host, Charlotte Fuller. If you'd like to get your hands on my incredible and absolutely free 100 resources to empower women in tech guide, which by the way, is packed to the brim with all of the top networks, events, podcasts and books, oh, and influencers you need to follow right now, then all you need to do is go to charlottefuller.com and click the link at the top of the page. Or you can just use the link in the show notes. Super, super simple. I look forward to seeing you next time. All my love and confidence, Charlotte.